Thanks, Jack. How you all doing? All right? Yes? Nice. A few thumbs up there, a few actual replies. That's what we like. Fantastic. Well, um, hope you've all had a great summer. I had a really good summer. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad to be back, though. Um, and excited about what God's got to say to us this evening. So if you've got a Bible, um, you'll need to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 18. Everyone there? Still looking? Yep, New Testament chair. Fourth gospel. <laughs> John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 18 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus, says John, is full of grace and truth. Jesus came to us from the Father, full of grace and truth, so that we could know who God the Father truly is, who God really is, what God is like. Because actually, if we learn anything from reading the Bible, we learn that that God has always been on a mission to make himself known. The heart of God, the purpose of God, his, his, his inmost desire is that his creation would know him. That the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of of his glory, of his goodness, of, of his wonder, of his splendor, of who he is. The wow of God. The majesty, the glory 
of God would fill the whole earth. God wants to be known. He wants to be known not just in theory, but he wants to be known experientially. He wants to be known up close and personal. He wants to be known intimately. He wants you and me to know him. It's the heart of God to be known. And that's why Jesus comes full of grace and truth that we might know God. No one's ever seen God, John says, except that Jesus came to make him known. So Jesus comes and says, now that you've seen me, you've seen God. And he comes, John is pretty keen for us to understand, so that we can know who God is, and the way he does that is full of grace and truth. And that's what we're gonna look at this evening, and that's what we're gonna think about this evening. What does it mean for Jesus to be full of grace and truth? The word grace that, that, that gets translated, the Greek word in the New Testament that gets translated as grace is harris. Um, now grace, um, if we define it, kind of, we, we get used, don't we, to certain biblical words and we, and we get used to certain definitions. And if you've grown up in any kind of evangelical um, church, you, you've probably heard some kind of definition of grace. It's the undeserved favor of God, the unmerited favor of God. We define it in terms of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. We didn't deserve to have our sins forgiven. Um, we were unworthy. Um, but God in his goodness sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. And we've remembered it this evening at the table, haven't we? We've, we've, we've taken the bread and the wine and we've remembered what Jesus has done for us. And that's the grace of God. And it certainly is. It certainly is. Um, but of course, the danger of kind of theological definitions of, of kind of just being able to say, well, I know what grace is. It's the undeserved favor of God. It's, you know, Jesus died for my sins. The danger is that can become something that we just kind of like uh, become familiar with, can't it? Jesus died for my sins. And actually it's the most amazing truth ever. But, but we can become familiar with that. We can become just like, oh yeah, it's grace. And we can lose something of the beauty of that word. It's the most amazing word, really, because it speaks of beauty. When you look at just the, the, the ordinary, everyday word, it speaks of beauty, joy, sweetness, pleasure, and delight. Yeah, it's just like grace. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for my... But it, it, it talks of the beauty, of the joy that it, Jesus was full of beauty and joy and sweetness and pleasure and delight. And, and when we look at how that word was used in, in everyday Greek language, it was, it was used to describe those attributes about a person that would, would win them favor with other people. So you'd say, that person's so beautiful, that person's so sweet, that person's, oh, it's just a joy to be around them. It's, you know, and, and, and you'd like them, you'd, you, you, your favor would be towards them, you, you'd think favorably of them because they were such an amazing person. And we still, if you think about it, we kind of use gracious rather than grace in that kind of way. When we say someone's really gracious, it, you can't help but like someone who's gracious, right? 
They're, they're, there's something about them. There's something that's sweet about their personality, about their character, about the way they conduct themselves. I mean, the word could even be used as we would perhaps still use it today to talk about a, 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 a movement, a, a gracious movement, a flowing movement. There's something aesthetically beautiful and pleasing. There's something delightful about this person. And so it was used in that kind of way, but it was also used, the same word was used to describe the favor that they obtained as a result of having these qualities. So because they possessed these qualities, they would obtain favor, and that favor was known as Harris. And so this same word used to describe both these beautiful, joyous, sweet, wonderful, good attributes of a person that obtained Harris favor, grace upon their life. And suddenly this makes sense, doesn't it, when we start talking about Jesus. Jesus who is beautiful. Jesus who is glorious. John wants us to know that this Jesus that he's going to tell us about in his gospel, he wants us to know this Jesus who came from God, that, that God might be known to us, was full of beauty and sweetness and goodness. Now, we, we read in the scriptures, we read in the Old Testament prophecies that it wasn't anything about Jesus' physical appearance. So John's not like saying, you know, Jesus was really hot and good looking. And, you know, that's not the point here. Just to avoid of any doubt. He's talking about who he is as a person. He's talking about his character, his nature. He's saying he is so good. He's full of goodness. And he says, because he's so full, just because of who he is, just his perfection, he perfectly carries the favor of God. He has these attributes, but, but he, he carries God's favor. God's favor is upon him. He's full of God's favor. He walks in God's favor. He's God's son in whom God delights, in whom God is well pleased. He walks about in the favor of God. He is full of grace and truth. He's perfect in every possible way. And he walks around in the divine favor of God. But in the New Testament, as we start to read it, this word Harris, which um, is used a lot in the New Testament, and particularly by Paul. Paul really goes to town on explaining for us what this Harris is all about in terms of when it starts to be applied to our lives as Christians. And what we soon discover is that actually we don't have the beauty and the sweetness and the perfection that would be needed to, to carry and walk around in the favor of God. But that Jesus has offered us his goodness. That Jesus has offered us his sweetness his beauty, his perfection, that actually we can obtain the favor of God that would normally be towards someone who walks around in these attributes deserving favor, but because Jesus has those attributes, he obtains favor from God for us. And that's the beauty of our 
gospel. John 1.16 said this, it said, Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Out of his fullness, he is full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness, we've received grace. That makes sense? We've received grace because of his grace. Now this expression, um, in place of grace already given, is a little bit tricky to translate. And some older translations, you may have um, grace upon grace. We have received grace upon grace, like layers of grace, one layer of grace on top of another. Literally, it says grace for grace. You have received grace for grace. And the translators are obviously kind of like grappling with, how do we make sense of that? You've received grace for grace. But actually, when we start to understand this idea of, you know, the attributes that deserve favor, that win, that attract favor, it kind of starts to make sense because we have received Jesus's beauty. We've received Jesus's goodness. We have received Jesus's sweetness. He's, he's, he's put himself upon us. He's, he's wrapped us up in himself. We've received his favor so that we can obtain favor. We've obtained favor for favor. God delights in you and God delights in me when we come to Jesus and we put our hope and our trust in him. We obtain favor from God. God, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, God looks at you and he sees the favor that Jesus has won for you. Not because of your beauty. You could never be in that sense. No offense. I'm not making any comment about what you look like this evening. But you could never have been beautiful enough. I could never have been beautiful enough. I could never have been sweet enough. I always would have fallen short. I always would have missed the mark. It never would have been enough. But he puts his beauty. He puts his goodness. He puts his grace upon my life and God looks at me and he delights in me because I stand in the grace in the favor of Jesus Christ you've received favor for favor you weren't sweet enough you weren't beautiful enough you weren't gracious enough so God bestowed those things on you you couldn't do it on your own. So he said, you know what? I'll give you the favor you need to obtain favor. I'll give you the grace you need to obtain grace. Grace upon grace. But John says that Jesus didn't only come full of grace, but also truth. So let's think about that for a moment. When we've done wrong, our natural instinct is probably to try and hide away, right? When we've done wrong, when we know we're in trouble, I mean, think back to, to being a child when you know you've done something wrong. Your, your first instinct wasn't often to go immediately and say, I just want all of this out in the open. Um, I'm just going to come and tell my parents exactly what's happened. But there's a, a kind of natural reaction that we have to kind of fight against, isn't there? Because we feel shame. We feel shame. So often we can get caught up in shame because that natural instinct is to, is to want to, to hide 
in the shadows, to hide away. We don't want some of the things we find difficult about ourselves. We don't want some of those truths that we find hard to accept. We don't want them to be exposed because that's vulnerable, right? I mean, right from the very beginning, that has been humanity's natural reaction. When Adam and Eve first made that wrong choice, when they decided to go their own way rather than God's way, and, and, they, and they take the fruit that they're not supposed to take, and they eat it, and, and suddenly they're hiding from God in the garden. Instead of um, you know, just walking with him and, and being in relationship with him, suddenly they're hiding away from him. It's a natural reaction to retreat into the shadows. But Jesus, we're told, comes as light into the world. Jesus comes to bring light into our darkness. And on one level, that's great, fantastic news, but on another level, that's terrifying, isn't it? Because if we were, if we were feeling shame and we were hiding and we were cowering back into the shadows, suddenly it can feel threatening that here comes Jesus full of truth. That he wants to expose that which is not true. That he wants to bring things into the open. That he requires us to step out into the light. Because he is full of grace. But he is also full of truth. If we want to stay in somebody's good books... We might be tempted if we want their favor, if we want them to like us, if we want to carry their favor upon our lives. The last thing we want to do is is go and tell them everything that's rubbish about us. The last thing we want to do is tell them everything we ever did wrong, all the ways we let them down. Because we want them to like us, we want them to approve of us. And so it's kind of like, it doesn't make sense, does it? We want God to like us, we want God to approve of us. and, And yet we're required to tell him everything. Because he is full of truth. Jesus brings everything into the light. He exposes the truth because he knows that the darkness gets in the way of you having intimacy with God. Because remember, his mission is that God would be known. His mission is that you would know God and God would know you. His mission is that you would be brought just as he is in perfect relationship with God the Father. His mission is that you would be brought into perfect relationship with God. And so he will not allow you to remain in the darkness. Out of shame, we might be tempted to stay in the shadows But Jesus, the gracious, beautifully sweet son of God, carries all the favor we need to call us out of the darkness, to call us out from our shame and into the light of his grace. The only way for us to live in true relationship with God is to come out of the shadows and live in the light of his truth. And Jesus gives us all the grace that we need to be able to do that. We can know God and we can be known by God. We can live in the fullness of his love and his goodness. And it's all because of both his grace and his truth. 
So just in the time we've got left, I want to outline three consequences of the grace of God, of the fact that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Firstly this, if you are living in the shadows, you can come into the light. Even this evening, you know, there may be different ones of us in different places here in this room this evening. It may be that there's someone amongst us that you've never actually taken that decision to follow Jesus. It may be that there's someone here this evening and all of this is new to you and there is an opportunity for you to put your hope and your trust in this message that I'm proclaiming this evening, that God Almighty made you and loves you, that he came to you in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ, that he offered his life up on a cross 2,000 years ago to take all of your shame, all of your brokenness, all of your imperfection upon himself so that you could be reunited in perfect relationship with the God who has always loved you. And it may be that you need to know more and you need to find out more, but there can be the beginning of a relationship with God even this evening as you make a decision, I'm going to come out of living in the shadows and I'm going to trust God to bring his light into my life. I'm going to trust God with my life. I'm going to receive his favor upon my life and I'm going to commit my life to living in relationship with him. We'd love to tell you more. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to explain more about the message of the Bible. And if that's you, come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to help you with that. But there may be others of us who are already Christians, already walking with God, but in one way or another, we know that we are living in the shadows. It may be just a particular area of your life that you've battled with, that you've grappled with, that you know that that's a, that's a kind of a shadow area of your life where you, where you would retreat from God, where you know that you, you do want a relationship with God, but you know that there's a part of your life that's in the shadows, it's off limits, and it's time to bring everything into the light. It may be that you've been struggling, you've been wrestling in your relationship with God. You've been a bit on and off. You're not really sure where you're at in your relationship with God. You feel dissatisfied. You know there's stuff that needs to be exposed. There's no, you know there's areas where you need to be vulnerable with God and it scares you. And I want to encourage you. You see, Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. And he's not going to wipe you out. Because he's full of beautiful, glorious, wonderful sweetness. He carries the favour of God. He carries the favour of God and he offers that favour to you. He says you can live in that kind of beautiful favour. You can live your life in the favour of God. Will you come out of the shadows and into the light? Will you trust me in my graciousness? He calls us out of the shadow. He calls us out of our shame. He does not want you to live in shame because shame is like the opposite of grace and truth. If you're living in the shadows, you can come into the light. Secondly, this, his grace will enable you to become more like him. So grace is not just about letting you off the things that you did wrong. Grace is never about turning a blind eye because remember, Jesus is about everything coming into the light. So he's not about hiding things. He's not about saying, well, we'll just forget. I tell you what, we'll come to a deal. Good job you told me and not the father. We'll just cover this one over. We won't tell the father and you'll get away with it. That's not how Jesus works. 
He brings things into the light and he deals with it. He forgives it. He shed his blood so that we can be forgiven. But he's not just, he's not just like, oh, well, I'll give you another chance. Oh, and I'll give you another chance. And I'll give you another chance. He doesn't just leave you trying again and again and again. He says, I will come and I will put my beauty and my glory and my goodness upon you. And I will actually start to work in you so that you can change. So that you can be transformed. So in Titus 2, 11 to 14, we read this, Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God can teach you the favour of God, as you walk around in the favour of God that is upon your life because of what Jesus has done for you, that same grace can actually teach you. That same grace can help you to grow and be transformed. In 2 Peter, in the first chapter, the first four verses, Peter says, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's all because of his grace. It's all because of his favor. It's all because of his goodness. And Paul, when, when he's talking about things that he struggles with in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, from verses 7 to 9, he talks about the grace of God being sufficient for him in his weakness. As we grapple, as we wrestle, as we don't have all the answers to everything that's going on in our life, nevertheless, the favor of God is enough for us. God's goodness, God's sweetness, God's pleasure, God's delight in us. That beautiful relationship is enough for us in every situation. If you're living in the shadows, you can come into the light. His grace will enable you to become more like him. And thirdly this, his grace will empower you to help others to know him. In the same way that you have come to know him, so his heart is that he would move in you and through you to help others to come to know him. Paul describes his ministry um, in Romans chapter 1, the first six verses, and he talks about the, the apostleship that God has given him. An apostle means messenger, sent one, someone sent on behalf of another. And he's saying, God's given me this apostleship. I've come to represent him. But what's interesting is he says, he's given me this grace and apostleship. He's given me this grace and apostleship. He sees his mission. He sees the call of God upon his life in terms of grace. It's because of God's favor towards you that he calls you to be involved in what he's doing in our world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. It's because of God's favor upon me that I'm able to serve him. And interestingly, when the Bible describes gifts of the Holy Spirit in Romans and 1 Corinthians, the word that it uses is charismata. It means grace gifts. 
The gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts of God's favor, of his grace, the gifts that enable us to be a witness and to help others in the church and to build people up. They're manifestations of the grace of God in our lives. Everything we are called to do and everything we are called to be is by the grace of God, the favor of God, all because of his goodness. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So much that we're called to, so much that we're called to be. Such a beautiful, wonderful standard that we're called to live to, holy and righteous lives. Acts of justice that we're called to be a part of. Witnessing to the gospel of Jesus. And how could we ever do or be all of these things? But Jesus has got all the goodness and all the sweetness and all the beauty and all the glory that we could ever need. He is full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness... We have received grace. We have received favor. Should we pray together? Jesus, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for your beauty and your glory. We want to thank you that you are full of grace. And we come to you this evening to obtain grace. Lord, as your word says, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. So we come to you. Lord, if we've been living in the shadows, in this moment, we make a decision in our hearts to step into the light. Lord, we ask that your grace would work in our lives. Teach us to say no to ungodliness. Let us be transformed to become more like you. And we open up our hearts and our lives and we say, pour out gifts of your spirit. Pour out manifestations of your grace. Transform us, empower us and enable us. Because Lord God, we want to walk around full of your grace and your truth. So we put our eyes on you, Jesus, and we turn our heart and our devotion towards you. And we say, Lord, we want to live our lives entirely centered on you. We worship you, Jesus, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen.